today, I'm going to continue in our series in James. Who's been enjoying this series? Uh, we've been going through the book of James, learning how we can live like Jesus. Uh, if this is your first time here with us, first I want to say welcome to Destiny Church. We truly believe here at Destiny that Jesus has a plan for each and every one of us here, and it's our purpose uh, really in our passion here as leaders to see that destiny and that plan and that purpose that he has for you in your life. Uh, but if you haven't had a chance to, to hear these messages or you haven't been here, I want to let you know all of our sermons and all of our messages are online on our website. So if you uh, really enjoy the message today and you want to go back and listen to some others, you can go to Destiny Church SA. Com. We also have an app on iOS or Android devices. It's pretty cool. We're getting uh, caught up with technology. So if you search in the app store, Destiny Church S-A-T-X, you can download our app. And in there, you can watch all of our sermons. You can give online. You can learn about our missionaries. It's really cool. So I just wanted to plug that. Also, one other thing while we're talking about phones and technology, uh, we live stream each and every message on Facebook. So I want to say hello to everybody who is uh, viewing on Facebook. But also, if you follow Destiny on Facebook, I want you to take your phone out right now and get on Facebook and share the live stream. Okay, so this is the only chance today I'm going to let you be on Facebook during the message. Um, I've put people throughout that are spying on y'all. If they see you on Facebook, they're going to tap your shoulder. That's a joke. But if you would, you could go ahead and share the message because then everybody who follows you on Facebook, they'll get to see the message. So this is something that uh, I want to encourage you to start doing each and every Sunday so that your friends and your followers on Facebook are aware of what's happening here at Destiny. So, today we're continuing in James, and we're going to be in James chapter 4. We're going to be in James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Now, today in this passage, James is going to give us the tools to accomplish what many would say is impossible. Many would say there is no way that this can be done. Today, we're going to look at how we can end all Wars. Yeah, some of you are scoffing. I didn't say we're going to learn how the Spurs can end the Warriors. That's not what I said. Um, I wish that was in this book. Sadly, it's not. Um, but today, we're going to learn how we can end all wars. Now, you might be in here thinking, that's impossible. There's no way that can happen. I've seen the world. I've seen what's going on. Don't just check out, okay? If you're thinking that, don't just unplug don't leave. I'm going to make it all make sense because I'm using the Bible. And uh, so it's all going to tie together. But war is a fact of life. Not only is, are there wars between nations, you know, we've seen that all throughout our lives. We're seeing it today. Uh, but war is it's really in every area of life. And we as people, we kind of we are very entertained with wars. If someone wants to grab your attention with something, they put the word war next to it. You know, right now there's a big conservative movement going on, a popular show. It's called Infowars. And then there, how many of you, a few years ago, there was a show called Storage Wars. Anybody watch Storage Wars? Okay, a few of you know what I'm talking about. Um, has anyone ever played the game Tug of War? Yeah? 
Uh, for whatever reason, I can't figure it out yet. I've never been good at tug of war. Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess your arm needs to be a little bit wider than the rope that you're actually pulling on <laughs> to be good at tug of war. But anyways, any um, war movie fans out there? Does anybody enjoy watching war movies? I like war movies. The strategy, the drama, the action, the brotherhood, the camaraderie, the suspense. You know, we're so, we love war movies here, not just here, but everywhere, that war movies on Earth wasn't enough. They started having to make war movies that take place in the stars. Any Star Wars fans? Okay. But James isn't going to be giving us the tools on how to solve the wars in a galaxy far, far away. That's not what we're going to be looking at today. Today, we're going to be looking at something that's even more serious than that. We're going to be taking a look at the wars that take place here within the body of Christ. James is going to show us how we can solve these wars that take place within the church. And so today, we're going to look at three types of wars that can take place within the body of Christ. And I know some of you might be in here thinking, oh, that never happens. People within the church, they never disagree with each other. You know, it's always just one happy family. That's not true, okay? Um, but I want you to know this isn't something new. This isn't some new uh, problem that's been going on. This is something that's been happening really since the beginning of the church. And so today, the first war that we're going to look at is a war that takes place between each other. And we've seen this in the, in, er, already in these first uh, messages that Matt's done. In fact, in James chapter 2... We see a war that was going on within the church that was sort of a class war. It was, you had the rich people coming in, and the members would roll out the red carpet for them. They would welcome them to the front row. They would get them coffee and cookies and make sure they sat where the worship sounded perfect. And then you had the poor people coming in, and if there was a spot, they would put them in the back. Maybe they would have them sit in the nursing room, you know, or maybe they would make them the janitors that day. There was a huge divide happening between the classes, those who were rich and those that were poor. And so for us, that's a good reminder that we are not to love people that way. How many of you are thankful that Jesus' Jesus's love for you isn't based on your bank account? Yeah. Amen. That might be the loudest amen I get all day. Um, so us, as Christians, we shouldn't look at each other based on our class, based on our standing in society, based on our race. We should view each other within the church how Christ views us. So that's the first type of war that can take place within each other that we've already seen in James. The second type is a war of the tongue, this war of words. How many of you who have kids, you can see how, you've seen how quickly a war of words can escalate. You know, someone takes a toy, and then a name gets thrown back, and then another name, and then before soon, soon it can become a nuclear war, and the parent has to step in and break things up. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have had a relationship end, maybe because of words that have been spoken either over you, or you let your tongue get loose, and you said something wrong to somebody? So we have to be very careful with our tongue. In the Bible it says that death and life is in the power of the tongue. 
that with our words, we have the power to either bring somebody up and encourage someone, or we also have the power to bring someone down and cast someone down. And so these wars that are going on between each other, like I said, this isn't something that's new, that's just been happening. Um, The Apostle Paul, he writes to the church in Corinthians and tells them to cut out suing each other. You know, I don't think we have that happening here at Destiny where members are going to court with each other, battling each other, suing each other. And then in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul writes that the people there were biting and devouring each other. Um, I don't think that's happening here at Destiny. I'm thankful for that. There was that one instance in the two-year-old's class, but um, (laughs) thankfully now that we we give them animal crackers, that's been uh, happening a lot less. They're eating their animal crackers and not each other. Um, It's a joke, okay? They weren't ever eating each other. Uh, In John 17, Jesus prayed that the church would be one. And he says in verse 21, he says, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus, his desire for the church is that we would be one with each other, that our relationship with each other would mirror that with Jesus and the Father. And the purpose of all of that is so the world can look on the outside in, see the relationship and the love that we have for each other, and know that Jesus is real, that Jesus has been sent, that Jesus is alive. And the opposite is true. When the world looks on the outside in at us, and they see these quarrels, these arguments, these fights happening, what that tells the world is that the Jesus in us isn't a real Jesus. If they look at us and they say, if these two people who both have Jesus in their lives, if they can't even get along, like, I don't want that kind of Jesus. So it's so important for us as a body of Christ to grab on to this message today. So let's go ahead and look at verse 1 of James chapter 4. And it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So we see this, that the quarrels and the arguments and the fights are happening among you. So that's where we see this war with each other. So if we, But if we read this verse again, we'll see the second type of war that's taking place. He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And so we see that the second type of war that can take place in the body of Christ is this war that happens within ourselves. And the cause of these wars with each other, really, it's a result of a war within ourselves. And so then, verse 2, it goes on to say that you desire and do not have so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, he mentions this word desire. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, I want you to know that desire in itself is not a bad thing. 
How many of you have desired something? You've been passionate about something, and it hasn't necessarily been a bad thing. All of you husbands in there, you know that it was desire and passion that led to you pursuing your wife and getting married and being where you're at right now. Um, When I was in that phase with Carrie, my desire led to me doing a lot of crazy things that I look back on now and I think, what in the world was I thinking? Um, How many of you in here desire to have a strong relationship with God? So your desire, desire in and of itself is not a bad thing. But selfish desires can lead to dangerous things. Selfish desires can lead to selfish actions. Um, When I was a teenager, I loved going to youth camp. I desired strongly to go to youth camp. How many of you in here have gone to a church youth camp before? Okay, they're a lot of fun. Um, But me, as a teenager, my desire to go to youth camp uh, was a selfish desire because the reason I liked to go to youth camp was to see how many new girls I could meet from other churches. Okay, when we used to go to youth camp, there was like six or seven other churches that would come, and that was my opportunity to meet girls that I had never met before. And so that was a selfish desire that led to selfish actions. And so at the end of the week, my enjoyment of youth camp wasn't based on how close I got to God or how much I enjoyed the worship. My enjoyment was based on if I had had a new girlfriend by the end of the week. And so, but if you, I'm just being transparent here this morning, okay? Um, All of us have sinned. Amen. But if you take a more mature Christian teenager, their desire to go to youth camp is probably to get closer to God, knowing that as their relationship strengthens, uh, they'll be blessed, they'll be able to bless others. And so you can have the same desire, but it's the intent behind that desire, it's the ambition behind that desire that can either lead to the right actions or the wrong actions. And so James was saying, you're selfishly coveting, you're desiring these things out of your flesh. And then when you're asking for them, You're not receiving them because you're asking in the wrong way. You're praying in the wrong way. So not only do selfish desires lead to selfish actions and wrong actions, selfish desires can also lead to wrong praying. And it's been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get my will accomplished in heaven, but it's to get God's will accomplished on earth. And so when we go to God in prayer with our checklist of everything that we want for him to do for us to make our lives better, we're praying the wrong way. We need to go to God in a prayer of submission and asking for his will to be accomplished. And so we need to examine these things in our hearts. We need to examine the desires that we have and make sure that they line up with the word of God. And so having these selfish desires, it can wage a war within our own hearts. And if we're warring with ourselves, and if we have this war going on within our hearts, it's going to, get, it's going to be really hard to get along with other people. So all three of these wars, they really go hand in hand. So first we have a war with each other, and then we have a war within our own hearts. Now this last war, really, it's... It's the scariest of all. It's the most dangerous of wars. It's the one we really need to try to avoid 
And that last one is a war with God. Let's look at verse 4. James 4. It says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So James lays this out for us pretty clear. James says, if you're more concerned with having a relationship with the world, if you're more concerned of getting along with the world and pleasing yourself with what the world tells you you need to enjoy, if that is your focus and your mission in life, he lays it out. He calls you an enemy of God. Now, I don't think any of us in here desire to be labeled as an enemy of God. Um, it's kind of morbid to think about, but we're all going to die at some point. And I don't think any of us on our tombstone, you know, wanted to be written, Mark Bell, enemy of God, right? No, usually it'll, it'll say all the good things about you or what you've done or maybe a favorite verse. But none of us want to be labeled as an enemy of God. It's not. And, um, and James uses this word adulterous. He says, you adulterous people. And this was a word that God used through the prophets uh, when they were talking about the Israelites, when the Israelites had turned their back on God, when they had sought after idols and they were worshiping idols and they turned their back from God. They were called adulterers. It was said that they were whoring themselves after these idols and after the world and living for the things of the world. And so it's kind of crazy to think about, but when we live in that way, when we're hungry for the things of the world, when we, we're more concerned with, you know, watching the shows that we know we shouldn't watch so that we can get along better with our coworkers and have that conversation because we know that they all watch this show and we want to be able to, to talk with them and get along. So we lower our convictions and we start crossing the line. James says that we've become an enemy of God. And so it's so important that we examine ourselves and examine our ambitions and our desires. Because nobody wakes up and says, you know what, today is the day I'm going to go to war with God. Today is the day I want to be God's enemy. Nobody does that. It's a slow, gradual progression. It's a daily, you know, stepping more over the line, doing what the world says is important, focusing on the things that the culture says is important and taking your focus off of God's word. It's a slow progression, but before you know it, you look at your life and it's in chaos and it's because you've been at war with God. Verse 5 of James 4, it goes on to say, or, so, or do you so suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And so God has given us his spirit. How many of you are thankful that you're filled with the Holy Spirit? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you submit your life to him as Lord and Savior. He fills you with his Holy Spirit. And with that Holy Spirit comes conviction of sin. It comes, you get the power. It says in scripture, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. So we're filled with his power. And it also gives us boldness to share the word and to share the gospel with others. But when we are idolizing these carnal things in our lives, what happens is it grieves the Holy Spirit. And there's a righteous jealousy that happens with God 
where he's, he's yearning for that spirit that he's given us to be used in the right way. And so when we are all wrapped up in our selfish desires and our selfish wants, it grieves that Holy Spirit that God has given us to convict us and give us power to live in this world. So these first five verses, they're not the most encouraging, right? It kind of lays out everything that we're doing wrong. It lays out these wars. We see a war with each other, within ourselves, with God. And so you might be thinking, okay, he said he was going to give us the answer. How do we solve this? Is there hope for us? What's the answer? Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the last five verses. So starting in verse 6, it says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Amen. That's really powerful. Um, So these first five words of verse 6, really we see the heart of God. And it says, but he gives more grace. Now, if you've heard me uh, speak before, you've heard me say that I really love big butts in the Bible. Um, Yes, I said that. This is a really big butt in the Bible that is so powerful and it's so awesome. It says, but he gives more grace. Now, the first five verses, it laid out everything that we're doing wrong. It shows these wars that we're having. But then even through that, it was just talking about how we've been adulterous with God. But even through that, God gives us more grace. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God in your life this morning? So God wants us to humble ourselves and rely on His grace. And this is in total opposition to the devil. The devil doesn't want you to submit yourself to God. The devil doesn't want you to humbly come before God and receive his grace. What the devil wants you to do is try to do things on your own way, to continue living with your own passions, with your own desires, because the devil is all about pride. And so the devil gets you by getting you to think that your way is better than God's. And this isn't anything new. This isn't some like new trick that the devil found online or something that, oh, this is how I'm going to get the new Christians to stumble. This has been happening ever since the beginning. We see this in the Garden of Eden, that the devil gets Adam and Eve to fall because he convinces them that their way is better than God's. And really, all sin, I believe, is grounded in pride. When we think that our way is better than God's way, that's going to lead to sin every time. And so James says, if we will lay down our pride, if we will submit to God, that the devil will flee from us. How many of you, that sounds pretty good, right? And it doesn't sound all that complicated. It's just submitting to God. And when we come to that point of submission, where we recognize that we need Jesus, that we need his grace, we need his power, it says that the devil will flee from you. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have heard verse 8 
quoted before. This is a popular verse. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now this verse, it makes our relationship with God different than any other relationship that we can have. Um, How many of you have, maybe a while back, but you've had a friend that you thought y'all were great friends and you, you know, you just got along great and then maybe you spent the night at their house and it was like after a couple of hours or maybe you were there for a week, after a while, they just started rubbing you the wrong way and you were like, I've had enough of you, let me call my mom, oh, my stomach's hurting, I need to go home, you know. It's like you, and maybe this is just me, maybe I'm a terrible friend. Um, But they may not even know what's going on. They might be thinking, man, I'm really enjoying this. I'm getting along great. And so we, in our human relationships, a lot of time there isn't that perfect symmetry where we each want all that we can get of each other. A lot of times both people aren't on the same page. But God isn't like that with us. God isn't ever going to say, like, Mark, you're praying with me way too much. Can we take a break? Can you just not pray this morning? You were praying all last night. I've had enough of you for a little bit. Can we step back in this relationship? God is never going to do that with us. We can have as much of God as we possibly want. And it says, if we draw near to Him, if we seek after Him, then He is going to pursue us. He is going to draw near to us. But this comes back to submission. And we see this in the rest of the passage. Again, it says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So this all comes back to humility. It takes a humbling of yourself. It takes you being willing to submit to the Lord and say, you know what, your ways are better than my ways. I'm tired of living this prideful life, trying to do things on my own. I'm going to submit to you. And once you come to that point of submission and that point of humility where you realize the weight of your sin, you realize the depth of your sin, that's where it's, it's talking about your, your joy turning, turning into mourning or to gloom. It's that realization of what sin has brought in your lives. When you realize that, it will lead you to receiving that grace. And it will lead you to drawing near to God all the more because you'll realize the depth of your sin. You'll realize the depravity of your soul and how much you need God's grace. But it takes that point of being willing to submit, being humble enough to say, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I do have things that are wrong in my life. Yes, I do need to submit to Jesus. And once you come to that point, it's so amazing because God freely gives more grace. He never runs out of grace. He doesn't have to like watch his grace tank to see if it's running low. Jesus is overflowing with grace and he's willing to give you that grace if you're just willing to submit and serve Him and come humbly to Him as Lord of your life. And so that is the key. That is how James lays it out. That is how we solve these wars that are happening in the body of Christ. It comes down to us living humbly, 
us living a lifestyle of humility, us living a lifestyle of submitting our desires, submitting our wants to God, laying them down at the feet of Jesus and saying, Jesus, not only are you the Savior of my life, but you are also Lord of my life, and I'm going to follow you, I'm going to follow your word, I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to worship and follow you. And so that's the key. It may not seem, you know, super in-depth, super complex. Really, it comes down to you living a lifestyle of humility, living a lifestyle of submitting to God. And so my question for you today, as we wrap this up, is who are you going to submit to? There's wars raging. There's battles going on within each other with each other, within ourselves, and with God, with all of that, who are you going to submit to? Are you going to submit to the world? Are you going to submit to your own selfish passions? Are you going to continue to go on saying, you know what, my way is better than God's way? And are you going to let those wars in your life continue to go on? Or are you going to submit to God, submit to His Word, humble yourself, and admit that there's no way that you can make things right on your own, to realize that you need the grace of the Lord Jesus. It's your choice. Who are you going to submit to? And so this lifestyle of humility, of being broken before God, this is what will solve the wars in your life. And it's so important for us as believers, as the body of Christ, to grab onto this message so that the world will believe that the Father has sent Jesus. It all comes back to us wanting to glorify God with our lives. And the best way for us to do that is to show that we love each other. If we can't love one another who both profess Jesus, how are we supposed to go out into the world and love the world and to call those in to the family of God? And so I just want to encourage you today to examine your heart, to look within your heart, Maybe look at the last couple weeks of your life and say, what has my prayer looked like? Have I been praying selfishly? What have the decisions I've been making? Are they selfish decisions? Are they selfish ambitions? Or do they line up with the word of God? Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage in James, Lord. It's so important for us today to grab a hold of this message. Father, I pray for those that are in here today who they know the right thing to do. They know what they should be doing, but Lord, they're still having a hard time making that decision that lines up with your word. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit, God, that we would have the boldness to take the steps to say no to the things we know we should say no to and to submit willingly to you as our Savior and as our Lord. And Lord, if there's any in here today who have had a hard time with that step, Lord, I pray that you would just comfort them, that you would bless them, that you would pour out that free grace that you've given us onto them, that they would feel that grace, they would feel that forgiveness, they would sense that forgiveness and that healing, and ultimately that your Holy Spirit would give them the power to walk out the Christian life that's been laid out here for us today. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.